Hi everyone, Neil here. A quick heads up that this episode does contain references to COVID and the consequences of this horrible disease. Hello, I'm Nick Baker and this is the UK Wildlife Podcast. Hello and welcome to the UK Wildlife Podcast with me, Victoria Hillman. And me, Neil Phillips. And for this episode, we've got a very special guest, Dr. Amir Khan. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. (laughs) It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, It's a little bit different to our usual guest, but we think that actually you'll bring something completely different and it'd be great to chat to you about various different things. So to start with, do you just want to explain who you are for anyone that doesn't know? Yes. So uh, my full-time job is is an NHS GP, which I know sounds really random when it comes to this podcast, but uh, I've also done some uh, TV work. So I'm a resident doctor on ITV's Lorraine, I've been on Sheedy's Behind Closed Doors, BBC Breakfast, a few other TV shows. Uh, but in terms of where I come at this from a wildlife point of view, I'm an ambassador for the Wildlife Trust, and I've just been made an ambassador for uh, butterfly conservation as well. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. Uh, and my passion, really, and it is a passion, is is um, getting uh, access to green spaces and nature and making sure everybody has access to to nature and green spaces and reaping the benefits from that from a health point of view. Let's start, I think, by your role as an ambassador for Wildlife Trust and also butterfly conservation, which is amazing, um, mm. because as anyone that knows, like Neil and I just love bugs. Yeah. So, you know, that's even better. Um, that's why I threw it in there. I thought yeah. these are, I'm a bird man. So I'm a, so I know you guys love bugs. So I'm trying to get you on side. <laughs> and we do love birds as well. Yeah. They're just not as cool as bugs. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so you actually do kind of as your role as ambassador for kind of wildlife trust and butterfly conservation. So I've, I've seen some of the stuff that you post on Twitter in particular about mm. it. So I've been an ambassador for the Wildlife Trusts for two years now. And the the idea is that I, I talk about the health benefits of nature, uh, talk about access to nature, the importance uh, that, that uh, well, highlight the importance of access to nature and green spaces. So when it comes to people conserving nature, talking about conservation. They, they they do it not just for the nature, but for themselves as well. And it kind of comes full circle because people are a bit selfish. If they're getting some, some benefit out of it, they are more inclined to help protect it. So that's the idea. And that's my role because I am I'm a massive believer in the health benefits of, of, of nature. Lots of people know about the mental health benefits, but there are so many physical health benefits as well. Yeah, that's something that we thought would be like really good to kind of have you on to chat about, really. Because uh, I mean, obviously, like Neil and I, it, it's it's our jobs. We we work in nature more or less full time. It's it's what we do. We spend you know our lives out, predominantly crawling around in the undergrowth or lying in ponds. To be fair, but you know we 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 spend our time out in nature, and you know there's certain, I'm pretty sure Neil Neil would concur with this. Is that that feeling of just being outside, kind of being immersed in it, it just does make you feel so much better. So, yeah, if, if I don't go out for two weeks, my wife accuses me of sulking. But um, I, I call it a little bit 
well, a little bit under the weather, I feel. <laughs> she calls it sulking, <laughs> which is probably more accurate than my assessment. She's probably not far wrong, you know, because of the mental health benefits, the neurotransmitters that are all kind of produced when we're out in, in green spaces and amongst nature. But the, the thing that, that bothers me really in all of this is that there is a whole cohort of people who don't get that access to nature, who don't reap the benefits. And most of them are from the socially deprived uh, backgrounds, from BAME backgrounds. Uh, and so... What I want to see, and, and which is why I'm really an ambassador with the Wildlife Trust, is, is an equal access to nature across the board, regardless of you know where, where you live and what your parents' work has or what the colour of your skin is and even what sexuality you are. Because there's evidence to suggest that people from gay backgrounds, LGBTQ backgrounds, don't access nature as, as well. So all of these kind of marginalised, vulnerable groups aren't reaping the benefits. So, you know, you guys see it all the time. You feel wonderful when you come uh, in from being outdoors. I do too. I absolutely love it. But there's a whole cohort of people who don't get that benefit. And that's what we need to address. Yeah, because there's a, there's a few initiatives uh, going around at the moment. There's, I mean, sometimes it's a bit depressing a little bit when you see it on social media. There's a bit of, as I mentioned on previous episodes, I suppose a backlash might be the the word to use uh, from certain people that I, I guess it's a lack of understanding in some cases um, sometimes it's just well bigotedness I suppose and yeah I think yeah. a lot of people I think it's just uh, they don't get they see it as the well that's excluding white people kind of thing but it's not about excluding anyone it's all about yeah. it being inclusive and welcoming everyone uh, you know equally uh, and and the the way to do that is to make everyone feel welcome I know you've touched on this in, in previous episodes I've heard you talk about it and I'm I'm you know I'll, I'll be honest I am a South Asian man I go to uh, I live in Yorkshire I go out to the countryside here to you know and I, I talk about nature I, I see it all the time but I, I've I very seldom see people who look like me out there doing the things that I'm doing and I'm all right with that. I understand why that is, because I'm some of the, you know, often people don't get that 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 exposure to it as as youngsters and they don't understand the importance of it. But we've we've got to really address that now. And 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 I, I'm really passionate, not just about being communities and marginalized communities, but for everyone. Everyone should have access to the to nature for for just just because honestly, I as a doctor, I can't I can tell you all about the health benefits. So I think that's why I'm here for <laughs> to ask me. I will tell yeah. you. <laughs> Well, why, why don't you know? Give it, give us a bit of an insight into the health benefits. Obviously, Neil and I know it from our point of view, but from your point of view as a GP, you know the health benefits to being able to spend time in nature and green spaces. Yeah, well, the the NHS is coming round to this now, and we're we're doing a lot of green prescribing. It's been piloted in parts of uh, the UK, and the wildlife trusts are really behind that. But what we already know is depending on where you live, if you live in a greener area uh, or have access to green spaces and by by green spaces, what, what we're saying really is, is anything that's an open, undeveloped kind of piece of land with natural vegetation or, or a beach and water area or even an urban park or street greenery. Those are the kind of things where we're, we're talking about. If you have access to them, you have lower rates of cardiovascular disease, obesity, type 2 diabetes, uh, flare-ups of, of asthma. Um, and even with, with children, children will in those areas have or access to those areas have lower uh, rates of obesity, better eyesight, believe it or not. 
And actually, the, the other thing, which is really interesting when you look at the evidence, pregnant women who have access to these kind of areas have better birth outcomes as well. And development in children is, is also better in this. So, you know, it's not fair that only a certain cohort, the population get those benefits. We have got to open it out to everyone. And that's just accessing it. There's, there's massive studies, which we can talk about as well, about, about the length of time people should be spending in, in, these, uh, in these green spaces and how, how important that is too. And what's really interesting is the people who have the least access to nature and green spaces have the most to gain by accessing them. That's what this research shows. We've got to get these people interested in it. And, and by getting everyone interested in it, in people who may not access it, you know, now, but but if we galvanize them and get them interested in nature and, and get them to understand why it benefits them, they will be so much more inclined to conserve it and, and protect it in the future against, you know, build, build, build and all of that yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, you know, completely agree with you because I, I, um, I'm on the committee for my local group for the Somerset Wildlife Trust. And we, I mean, we Okay, obviously not this year, but we run walks and throughout, I mean, we start in about April time and we run walks all the way through the year. And, you know, it's just, we just try and get as many people out and get them engaged and just enjoying nature. Yeah. You know, I live, live in quite a rural area. How do you think we can get that connection work? Because I know, you know, obviously being involved with the Wildlife Trust myself, mm. I know there is a, a big drive towards getting more people included and they're really incorporating the, the health benefits of being outside in alongside conservation as well but yeah, yeah. how do we how, how can we include more people you know do yeah. we start at school level do we you know what do you reckon you know to give this some background you know i grew up in inner city bradford i we we had we lived in a back-to-back house we had no garden and really very little access to to green space and my dad was a massive fan of nature documentaries and that's how we that's how i really got to know about about nature and 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 now I'm lucky enough to live on the outskirts of a village in Yorkshire and I have loads of access to green space. And I, I you know, I, I reap those benefits all the time. I still work in inner city Bradford where I work is a really uh, socially deprived area. We have a big kind of vibrant multi-ethnic population, many of whom don't speak English. Uh, and and so, you know, I think I'm in a, in a really good position uh, uh, to try and engage that population because I, I'm, I'm their doctor, I, 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 I'm, our, our surgery is opposite a school and all of this kind of stuff. And I've, I think the key is really to engage not just children because we, it's important we do go to schools, but we have to engage their parents. And what we've got to remember uh, in this, and I only have got, you know, I've got experience of this because I work in these areas. But these parents and, uh, of these children often have very chaotic lives and, and very tough lives. And, and just getting the, the, the children to school each day is, you know, a really big deal for them. And it's really important that they do that. And that's all they can manage. And that's fine. So we have got to really make it easy for them to get to, to, to get access to to green spaces in nature it's no good for us to say well if you drive half an hour 40 minutes from here you'll come to this gorgeous you know uh, uh, reserve and it'll be beautiful and you'll really enjoy it they haven't got the means they haven't got the money they haven't got the transport they haven't got the time to do all of that stuff so what we we have to do is bring it to them uh, and and school is really important for that uh, and and having areas uh, talking to children in school about it, but also 
talking to them only goes so far. You've got to immerse them in it and have schools reserve areas within their playgrounds uh, that are simply for nature uh, and that the children can experience nature and they can touch nature and be amongst it. They will then go home, tell their parents all about it. Parents, again, will be really busy. And, 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 and like I say, in these particular areas, and I can't speak for everyone, but this is just my experience, uh, you know, but 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 then when they see how their children feel in that in that kind of environment, we then need to have green spaces in these socially deprived areas. It's so bad, but so many parks in these areas are just these little tarmacked play playgrounds uh, uh, without any green spaces. I think a few swings and a seesaw over some tarmac counts as a park. That isn't a park. That isn't what's going to get them interested in nature. That's not where they're going to gain the benefits of of nature. So we have got to really, really have to bring green spaces into these inner city areas. Green spaces should not be reserved for the suburbs and people who can afford to live in those areas. We have got to bring them in. And it starts at school, but it expands out into the families as well. It's something that we've kind of discussed before. How do you, I mean, we had questions quite early on when we started the podcast, actually, people asked us, how do you get not necessarily getting children more involved, but how do you get adults and parents more involved? And I think it's kind of, you've got to try and find a way to do it all together. Mm. Agree. Yeah. And, and and yeah, because children can be really enthused by nature. And, and I think that is certainly becoming more popular now. And schools are talking about it, we're talking about it. But it's that, that generation of parents that have probably been missed out in, in, in all of this. And how do we how do we engage them? Part of it is for them to see the benefits of, of what nature will have on their children. But we, the, the, the key is really, it goes back to what I said already, we have got to make it easy for these parents whose lives are hard enough already, you know, they, 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 they'll be working and, and, like I say, getting their kids to school and putting food on the table. And that is really a stretch for many many families we have got to make it so it's easy to get to green spaces just as easy it is as it is to go to the tarmac horrible playground where they you know sit and watch their kids on the on the swings the kids will have much more fun in a woodland and and yeah. green spaces they just haven't yet had that opportunity to do so yeah and it's amazing you know when we've i mean we we don't get children on all of our walks and actually the one that is most popular that we get children on is actually our, our reptile and amphibian walk. Mm. Um, it's probably about half children. It's grandparents and children quite often. And the thing is, you take them out there and they're just amazed by the smallest little thing. You know, you, you're out trying to find them adders and grass snakes and frogs and toads and they find a little beetle and that's it. They're like mind blown. Mm. But, you know, they, they I think, you know, like I said, it's just it's getting them access to it. Yeah. Yeah. And we, you know, we are a voice in all of that, but we've got to get the people in charge behind all of that. They've got to see how that's a priority for these families. And and the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because I see inequalities all over. And health inequalities is, is one of the things that I deal with on a day to day basis working in a deprived area of Bradford. Uh, and and that some of that can be addressed by simply opening out areas that are not used for anything else. You know, I drive places, past places in, in Bradford where it's just nothing is happening in that area. It's just a dead space. We can transform that small area into a, a 
gorgeous nature reserve. You, you know what nature's like. It will, it will, it will bounce back the minute you put anything yeah. in place for it. And and we can involve the communities in that. But but that does involve money. That does involve investment. And it does involve time. But it is such a wise investment. Yeah. And I think you know for stuff like that, you've got the opportunity to um you know to create like community gardens. Yeah. or community spaces where they have that little bit of involvement they can go and enjoy it and they can see it change and it it then becomes almost more like we were saying you know, earlier you get people out there and they're more likely to want to conserve it and help and and get more involved so it's you know there's yeah. a real opportunity there but like i said half the battle is trying to get funding and the people that would you know kind of okay it to yeah so, that's yes. the thing it's just not a priority for a lot of people in charge and the money is is tight at that level the money is definitely there at higher levels but when it comes down to local councils the money just isn't there i have talked to them i've certainly talked to the to bradford council leeds councils and uh and and how you know how we can best do this and you only get so far and and then things just you know, it always comes down to the, the the you know the bottom line the money and and, and why it's an it's an issue and a priority and yeah it, it is tough it is tough but it doesn't mean i'm going to stop i'm going to keep going on and on and on about it until i, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> until I help that little community in bradford i think <laughs> Do you that, that little community garden you can stand yes. there proudly. <laughs> even if i go there with a shovel myself and some grass seeds i will do it <laughs> we'll just well, give so... us a call and once this has calmed down we'll just come up and help you <laughs> yeah. thank you i'll hold you to that <laughs> you go to some urban nature reserves there's camley street in london which is literally next door to king's cross station if you look mm. on google maps it's right there and the amount of stuff that's in there it, it's quite extraordinary all the birds because obviously they've got regent's canal right next door but regent's yeah. canal is full of <laughs> well last time i went there there was two species of non-native wildfowl and uh, ter- terrapins, and the the canal itself is a battleground for I think it's three species of non-native crayfish and mitten crabs, which are not native wow. either. So, <laughs> but you know, in some ways it doesn't really matter, does it? If if your aim is to engage people in nature, a grey yes. squirrel can be fantastic for that. As much yeah. as you know, they've been terrible for our reds, and but they're a bit more adaptable than reds. Let's not get into that debate now, uh, but. A grey squirrel can be fantastic. Ambassador. A fox, you know, a lot of people see them as pests in towns. But if you see a fox first thing in the morning, that can really lift your day. And, and it can engage a child. You know, if they've got a fox running across their school field, it, it, that can be the sort of, might be a trick oh, yeah. later in life. You just don't know, do you? God, yeah. I have multiple orgasms every time I see a fox in my garden. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. I do. So oh, it's frogs, it's me. You know, the moment oh, yeah. I, my frogs are back, I'm like, yes. <laughs> I know frogs, right? Amazing. I We've know. got them in our pond as well. They are, honestly, they're a joy. Oh, and I think a... it's interesting, so the one thing, that we you know that i from my experience being able to kind of engage children with most it's frogs and toads yeah. they they don't want to know about all the plants and and actually they're not to a point they're not that interested in the birds but mm. you show them a frog and you've got them hooked it's great why is that do you think do you think it's because because, because got they're amazing of... They're like the that best creatures in the world. <laughs> that is right. <laughs> they're bigger. I mean, when I do pond dipping with groups, if I'm doing a pond with fishing, it turns into a catch the fish. doesn't matter if they're four or 17, 18. It turns into a competition who can catch the most fish. So <laughs> I actually prefer the ponds about fish. But I'll tell you what, when you're catching newts, especially if you catch a great critter newt with a group, mm. um, that has the whole lot 
Okay, and that tells you to catch a newt, but I don't mind that because newts are cooler than fish. All controversial opinion. But a great Christian newt, especially if you can take an aquarium out of you. You've got a, you know, in the UK, we haven't got many reptiles and amphibians, but mm. you put a, what, 15, 20 centimetre long dragon in the water of a huge crest and a bright red belly, the kids are just going to go nuts, and they do. It's just, it's wonderful. Even better yeah. if you can get them. I mean, I've, I've had the pleasure of showing a few groups some lizards. And the amount oh, of wow. children and adults that go, I didn't know we had lizards in the UK. Mm. But you talked about the lost generation earlier. I was, bear in mind how nuts about wildlife I am. I was at least in my lower half of my 20s before I saw a great crested newt, a slow worm or an adder. Really? You know, See, I've not seen any of those things and I'm 40. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll have to sort that out. We'll have to sort that out. Yeah, yeah we definitely have to well, sort out that. We, we cannot be having that. <laughs> I think it's going to be a big meet-up of um, UK Wildlife <laughs> Podcast guests at some point. Oh, we're going yes. to see all this stuff. Yeah. I think there, there are some... I know there's certainly some sites in the Peak District for adders. There's definitely... I know one in Yorkshire as well, because my friend walks yeah. their dogs around. It. It's near... Yeah. Um, not far from Doncaster. Oh. Okay. So it's not a million miles. Well, compared to here, it's closer, <laughs> isn't it? But there's a few sites up on the... I've North got family North in Doncaster as well, as well so yeah. it's... Uh, yeah. In North York Moors, I've got a few. I know a couple of sites. I've not seen them there, but I know some I'm very really close to the North York Moors, so I could head up that way. If you go uh, <laughs> the Whitby end of it, I, I can give you a name of a site actually that's got them. I should give Ooh, out yes, please. Probably. But yeah, I'll let you know. It's a really nice <laughs> site actually. <laughs> lots of things. Like obviously, most of the people that we have on the podcast, a lot of people already enjoy nature anyway. But it's it, like from my point of view, it really. I'm really interested in, in the health benefits of it. Yeah. And, and I think as well, like with the lockdown that we had earlier in the year, you know, for the various restrictions and issues that I've had. Yeah, I, I had a wild bee orchid pop up and grow in my front garden. I know. I heard all about it. This thing just <laughs> honestly, it was like a, a shining light in really what wasn't a particularly good time. Mm. And like normally for me, I would be away in June, most of June anyway. And I was able to follow this. Yeah this flower from when the first flower opened right the way through until the 10th flower opened and although this is my job very rarely would I ever get the chance to even just follow from I mean I'm a scientist first and foremost photographer second so as a scientist being able to see that journey from flower run right the way through to flower 10 on the same plant mm. when when do we ever get the chance to do that even when it's our job you know it's but when it's right outside the front of your house and essentially my office I could see it from my office window <laughs> yeah yeah you know that that to me um that was a real shining light for me you know in a, in a really difficult time so you know yeah I, I can fully appreciate but I think it's you know the health the mental health benefits to to nature in you know whatever it is that you love be it frogs and if you don't <laughs> love frogs it's definitely a problem with you um, yeah <laughs> yeah I agree I agree <laughs> that's my favorite thing about valentine's day because that is when the frogs return to my pond every is bang on valentine's day they're always so much later here really? even though we're further south but we are we are kind of top of the mendips ah yeah no, well, i think they're always... just lazy here <laughs> <laughs> you can hear them valentine's night you can hear it and it's very romantic oh lovely <laughs> <laughs> oh. talking of orchids and in an urban setting i mean we talk about the urban nature reserves i think a really good example is a site an essex wildlife trust site near me called chaffer gorge mm. which if for those some many listeners have heard of lakeside because that's what essex is famous for which is right by the m25 and lakeside was built in a quarry 
and there was three other, well, two or three other quarries in the, in that complex. Uh, they built Lakeside in one, built a housing estate over all the rest of the land around these quarries, and in two or three of them, they've left. Obviously, they can't build it because it's the bit, <laughs> the biggest cliffs in Essex are there. They're sort of you know <laughs> 80 meters high because they're a quarry. Essex is so flat. But in one of them, five minute drive from Lakeside, in the middle of a housing estate, you can get man orchid common spotted orchid pyramidal orchid and two other species of orchids you get five species of orchids in the That's middle incredible. It has, and it's a beautiful chalk grassland there's all other birds that, and dragonflies and various plants there fortunately isn't any of the chalk butterflies but there's a you know it's just standard ones as well beautiful crystal clear lakes full of fish as well really and that loads and loads divine. of bats oh as well. and glowworms as well which are declining in essex but they're doing okay there so it's amazing so you just think and that is right you can see the houses on the edge of the cliff around the quarry you know built a bit too close i think and a lot of those people have never been into those reserves which is just bizarre it's it is bizarre it is yeah but it's it's interesting you know that you know vic you were saying how that orchid got you through a really tough time and i think a lot of people have had that experience particularly over the last six to eight months with covid and with lockdown i've certainly seen a massive increase in in people with anxiety and and depression uh, contact me through through work uh, and and what we've also seen is is nature people have connected with nature again haven't we we, we heard all of that right at the start of lockdown birdsong is louder you know they're connecting with nature spring and we had a, we had a lovely spring and early summer this year as well so it was lucky in that in that regard and people were feeling better as a result of it in in terms of that that kind of connection but that that isn't just random you don't just come in going oh i feel better there is actual real science behind all of that if you you know what we know about what nature does in terms of the physiology in in the human body there's a a stress hormone that we will all have heard of called cortisol Uh, and what studies have found is people who have had exposure again to green spaces and nature have less of this cortisol cortisol is produced when you're stressed it's a stress hormone Uh, and and when you're outdoors you actually suppress cortisol production you feel calmer so you get that that mental well-being but it also helps reduce your blood pressure so it takes the pressure of your heart as well so lots of things are going on inside of you that makes you just feel that much calmer at zen with your with your surroundings but it's not just hormones you've got these neurotransmitters in your in your brain that that connect your nerves to your brain and send these messages as well so the two big ones are are serotonin and and dopamine and and they they really change things around as 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 well so they 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 are both released when you're out in in uh, in nature uh serotonin uh helps uh uh with things like your memory your sleep and your behavior uh and then dopamine uh, which is another neurotransmitter helps with kind of your emotional response and your ability to feel pleasure so so when both of these rise at once, which is what nature does, you you feel calmer, uh, you, 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 your behavior changes, it, it gets slows down, you really respond to the environment around you, and you have a much slower emotional um, kind of movement, so you don't feel agitated or angry, you, you get that kind of really nice, calming, soothing soothing feeling and it's it's there is a reason for that we are human beings we should be in nature we evolved in nature our 
hormones and our neurotransmitters are built to respond to nature. And if you take us out of that environment and put us in these urban environments with smartphones and computers, your hormones and neurotransmitters just go haywire and you get all stressed and you get wound up and you get angry. And and so there's real science behind it. It's not just me going, you know, <laughs> do it, do oh, it. We, we love science. science. We love science on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So, so yeah, so it's really important that, 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 that people do feel that. And, and, you know, again, going back to that calm feeling, that is why we have lower rates of depression, lower rates of anxiety in places where people have access to nature. And in conjunction with conventional medicine, you know, people who are suffering from mental health issues can access nature and get, you know, get some relief from it uh, that way as well. And the other the other interesting thing, you know, sticking with um, with mental health is is being outdoors, uh, doing activity outdoors has helped children with ADHD, their attention deficit uh, hyperactivity disorder. It, it helps calm them. And again, that goes back to different neurotransmitters and impulsive behavior. It helps calm that impulsive behavior that they may have. So it's proven to be beneficial for them. And it's not just children, adults, uh, older people who have early onset dementia, if they carry out activities outdoors with nature again that's shown to slow down the progression of of dementia and people who have spent time outdoors actually have lower rates of dementia as well so there's so much to it and that goes back to serotonin which is good for your memory and and sleep as well and we know people who have better quality sleep have much better uh, health outcomes as well uh, and uh, one thing we haven't mentioned that everybody knows about is being outdoors in the sunlight will get your vitamin D levels up. And there's increasing evidence now that vitamin D is good for your immune system and people who get coronavirus have better outcomes if they have better levels of vitamin D. So there's nothing it's not good for, really. <laughs> Go outside. <laughs> <laughs> just, just get out there. And, and now's there. a perfect time to do it as well, because not only do we have... Okay, okay we've still got a few nice days i'm i've already been told off once tonight for by a friend by talking about the potential weather for next week um because <laughs> uh, <laughs> i've seen the forecast um but you know now not only do we have lovely awesome light but all of those amazing colors we've got on the trees as well you yes. know it's just such a joy to be out at the well any time of year really but you know you've got that last amazing kind of show of nature as well like all mm. the amazing colors and stuff I, I love going out. I, I don't live too far from Western Belt Arboretum. And I love going up there and walking in amongst the Acer Glade up there at this time of year. Oh, wow. And you are just immersed in every colour you could think of. Yeah, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it was still very much green. And now it's like a rainbow of colours. It is just phenomenal. And I could just spend, and I, I will be spending tomorrow all day up there, you know, just looking at all the different colours and everything. And it's it's a great time to get out there. So do it. Get out there. Mm. <laughs> Do it. Absolutely. And we keep talking about green spaces, but, you know, they don't have to be green. They could be these gorgeous golds and crimsons and browns that, that uh, you know, autumn brings with it. And and we mustn't um, think that the outdoors, you know, but the, the danger is people who are new to the outdoors and new to, to nature don't go out when it's wintertime or cold and that kind of thing. But there's so much to be seen when it's that time of year and often it's easier to see stuff when other things aren't in the way like leaves yeah. <laughs> so, that so is true <laughs> <laughs> like well, winter's a time for birds 
and, and lichens. There are so many oh, amazing yes. lichens on the trees. And sometimes in the summer, you don't see them because there's so many leaves. But once the leaves are gone, they're there mm. and they're waiting. Definitely. And I think people who are listening to this podcast will already be immersing themselves in nature and enjoying nature. And that's why they're they're listening to this. And I think those of us who who do enjoy nature and get the benefits from it have a bit of a duty to spread the word to those people who don't. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, in socially deprived. If your friends aren't aren't accessing nature like you are, or haven't got the bug for it yet. Sorry, Neil, I'm not allowed to say bug, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are in that context. <laughs> Good. That's uh, a medical context, isn't it? Bug. Uh, that's you right. The bug. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's when you say you've got a bug. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you should talk to them about it and get them out and get them enthused about it as well. But the more people that are enthused about it, the, 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 the better nature, the better chance nature stands against us as the human race. I mean, it's going back to the ADHD benefits. I'm forest school trained, which is basically getting the kids out and free playing for at least six weeks on the trot so they get the full benefit. Mm -hmm. And I've seen children of where there's a child that's, you know, ADHD or got behavioural problems in the classroom. And sometimes even from the first week, I have to ask teacher which one it is, because when they're out in the outside environment, they just they're enjoying themselves so much. And it's so natural to them that they that you can't pick out the bad behavior because they're behaving because you yeah. know what I mean it's, it's um and like interestingly conversely uh, sometimes the one that misbehaves is the child that's so used to a rigid doing what they're told in the classroom they sort of almost freak out a bit when they're just let free in the woods they, and they sort of start misbehaving because they don't know they don't have that practice but yeah I remember when I first heard about forest schools, but like, oh, what's wrong with just pond dipping? It's, you know, it's, you know, what a load of wishy-washy stuff. This would be gone in no time. And a lot of people thought that at the time because these fads come and go, but this has been here for 30 years now. Mm. And the thing that sold it to me was I, I was working in this park and my colleagues were forest school training at this point. I wasn't, I come up to help pack up and the teachers are all crying. I'm like, what's going on? What's happened? And they're all crying, happy crying. I think, oh, what? There was a kid that was autistic really limited his emotional um, expression and stuff like this and he was on the swing and he started laughing and the teacher never even seen him smile before you know he's in a swing in the woods that natural swing and they started laughing and everyone started which set everyone else off crying of course you probably imagine. Oh. Uh, and you just think it just shows you you know it sounds really cheesy but nature almost hit well, not heals but it, it reaches you in different ways doesn't it it's it, yeah. as a scientist i don't really think about things like that you don't but when you start to think about it it, it does make sense you know because you're back in your natural setting well, I, I think i think for us neil like we probably maybe don't think about it as much because we spend so much time out in nature anyway because yeah. it's actually our jobs it's what we do but you know when you see the effect that it has on other people that you know maybe it's their first time doing this or it's had that profound effect on them i think you know for us certainly it probably really hits home that it really can make a difference to someone's life. Yeah, yeah. And that's why it goes back to those people who um, who don't have access to nature stand the most to benefit from even small amounts of exposure to it, which which you, you've, you've just said. And, you know, forest schools are here to stay. They have they have better outcomes behavior wise, but but also, you know, academic wise, nature has been shown to improve your short term and long term memory. So when it comes to learning things at school, uh, you know, having that forest atmosphere going outside and then coming in to do some academic work, the two of them go hand in hand so well. And, and, and again, you know, it's been a tough time for students. Uh, 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 they haven't had their exams and that kind of thing. 
But if you are, you know, if you've got an academic project coming up or if something, you, you know, I have to commit a lot of things to memory in my job. You know, I have to learn so many things and I have to make sure it's always right. Um, one thing I've, I've got out of nature really is when I'm taking a break, I always make sure, you know, when I'm taking a break from the books, I always make sure it is outdoors in green spaces. And that is because I know from reading the science that that is better for my memory and the stuff I've just read will cement itself in my brain much better after a jaunt outside so yeah if you've got exams coming up take a break outdoors as well yeah i did used to try revising outside but uh, <laughs> <laughs> any insect that went yeah. past distract, no. it's distracting. E- so, even now I'll, I'll try like if i'm doing research for something then i'll actually you know I'll, I'll sit outside and try and do it and then i realize i'm actually getting nothing done because i'm yeah. I'm too distracted by all the all the invertebrates and everything flying around me. No, in your brakes, in your brakes, go outside. Yeah. That's, that's the rule. Oh, I'm, I'm terrible. Um, we've mentioned it before, nature Tourette's. It wasn't actually coined by Mike Dilger. Uh, Stephen Moss was telling me, I can't remember who it was now. One of the famous nature writers coined it. And it's basically, you can't not point something out to people, which is fine. You know, it's a bit embarrassing for me. But when you're teaching 30 children and you're mid-flow and then you go, oh, look, there's a kestrel. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to you have to then gather everyone's attention back again afterwards but i always think it's worth it because for a lot of the children it'll either be the first time they've seen one or the, the first time they've had one identified in front of them for them but you know you've got a kestrel hovering over a field you know whatever i've got to say probably does take second bidding to what, what i'm trying to teach them yeah oh just distracted by anything me <laughs> no i get distracted by a kestrel as well to be honest we've got quite a few of them around here we're really lucky i'm really lucky where i live because even though it's yorkshire and yorkshire i know you've talked about this already yeah terrible at shooting birds of prey but not yorkshire in every not everyone in yorkshire obviously but obviously you not. know what i mean <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we're really looking we've got a red kite breeding program just uh, about a mile oh. from where i am so we get i just look out the kitchen window we've got red kites flying past all the time and then we get kestrels buzzards uh, uh fortunately or unfortunately depending on what you like we've got a sparrow hawk in the garden that is munching its way through my pretty little garden bird which breaks <laughs> my heart <laughs> so it's yeah it's like a bird of prey paradise around here <laughs> yeah you're, you're you're far enough away from the uh the grouse moors i think and they do tend to leave kestrels alone generally i think but oh, good yeah I, I know i think i know roughly where you are there because when i drive down the a1 home that you go through one particular patch and there's loads of red kites quite often yes yeah. yes i am there yeah. <laughs> i tell you what we've got here as well at, at the moment not far from where i am which is really excited is a hoopoe there's one oh, there's, yes. there's one just literally two miles oh. from where i am i haven't been to see it yet but i've heard a lot oh, about it i've, I've so. got slight bad news it, don't it, tell me it's gone i'm going there it has tent. it's gone no. <laughs> my, my, oh, my, no. my, my, a friend of mine was in quarantine my friend who lives in yorkshire is in quarantine for two weeks and the day he got out <laughs> disappeared oh. and, and we joked last week that was going to happen and it did yeah. <laughs> i know they're beautiful birds i've seen them in canary islands i think it was and oh absolutely stunning but yeah one of my favorite birds now that is a bird you know that's the sort of bird that'll get me going because they're just amazing now, they turn up every year who knows if we improve the environment a bit and with global warming they'll probably start nesting here so there's there's a surprising number actually that do we get about 100 each year sighting in the really? uk yeah gosh 
But a lot yeah. of them are, you know, someone sees it and then it's gone. So, or like for yeah. a couple of hours. Apparently, so. this one was just wandering around on one of the cricket oh. greens with 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 lots of photographers taking pictures of it. Yeah, yeah. So that it's, sounds like my kind of hoopoe. See, I've seen <laughs> the pictures, and unfortunately, if I was that hoopoe, I would have hightailed it out of there as well. If I was surrounded by that many people. I think it was one of the super tame ones. It just was not oh, fussed. Yeah. I've, heard, I've heard from a couple of people that whose opinions I trust, and as silly as the pictures look, apparently it didn't give us stuff. I, the one I saw abroad was like that. I literally, you know, was really doing using all my field craft. In the end, they were so close I couldn't fit the head in the shot. Some of them just don't care about humans. It's really weird. Yeah, but Yorkshire, yes, beautiful wildlife up in Yorkshire. What's been your your wildlife highlight living in oh. Yorkshire? Reckon so far. Well, I'm a bird man, so yeah. and I I have an we won't hold of... it against you. <laughs> no, well, you know what it's really interesting because it, again it goes back to what i was saying you know as a kid we didn't have a garden at all not you know we had a, a, a like a, a step pretty much that went from the pavement outside into our house and so now i've got this you know i i think it's a gorgeous garden we've got this gorgeous garden and uh, i have made it as as wildlife friendly as possible i've built a pond i've put a big structure with with bird feeders i've got loads of wildlife friendly plants and and it really, you know, it, it's true what they say. You know, if you if you make something hospitable for nature, it will come. And within, you know, within weeks of us of putting up our bird feeders, we get we get such an array of birds. And I my favourites are the bullfinches by by far. So we've got about eight or nine that come every single day. I mean, the numbers have gone down since a sparrowhawk arrived, but they're still <laughs> maintaining. But they are just brilliant birds. The females definitely rule the roost and the, the poor males get bullied a little bit by the girls, but they're, they're, they're just gorgeous. And then we get flocks of finches come through and we're lucky enough to get green finches as well. And siskins will get around January, February time. So it's a, it, it, it's a, just an amazing thing to watch. And I'm lucky because my office overlooks the bird feeders and they're quite used to me just looking out the window at them. So they're not they're not that bothered. So, so yeah, they are definitely the highlight. But I do get hedgehogs in the summer. We've got a family of hedgehogs coming that we've been feeding, which has been really, really cool. And we get the odd badger in the garden, and like I said, Ooh. we get a fox as well. So yeah, it's really good. And we got we've got lots of frogs, Vic, in the pond. Loads <sighs> of frogs, huge ones. They get massive. I'm, I'm coming to visit. I'm coming yeah. to visit. <laughs> you are more than welcome. Well, I was tempted with those bullfinches because bullfinches. We get a, there's a handful of sites you occasionally see them on in South Essex, but I mean, uh, what I love about bullfinches, it's one of those birds. It's, there's like certain confusions. You get like crows and ravens, but and you know if if you if you doubt it at all. It's not a rape. It's not a raven. It's going to be a crow. And bullfinch and chaffinch is another one. Do you think is that a bullfinch? And then you see how pink a bullfinch yes. is. It's like, yeah, no, that's a bullfinch. You have got the white rump as well, haven't you? Yeah. Bullfinch is another one of those birds that are just rather lovely. They really are. Uh, nice. uh, yeah, we, we don't get them course. here. Mum and dad have had them in their garden. And mum and dad, are, my mum and dad, are about twenty minutes down the road from me. Mm. Um, but the one thing that we get every year, so I, I have this monster knapweed that grows in my garden so most knapweed doesn't get above about 60 centimeters mine is over one and a half meters Um, so this thing's an absolute beast and you know when it's in flower it's great for all the butterflies the bees and everything else but then when it goes to seed it gets covered in goldfinches oh yes and i just get like you know, anywhere up to 10 12 goldfinches on this this knapweed bush it's absolutely amazing and little sparrows come in and use the bird baths i do yeah. love I mean, goldfinches and we get a, a lot on our feeders but they are they are very argumentative birds yes <laughs> i feel like i have to go out there and tell them off every now and again say, there's plenty for everyone calm down <laughs> it's between them and the starlings which is the most argumentative i think although i tell you what how sparrows are have a go at each other 
Um, I mean, yeah. I've, I've had them fall out of my head, you know, yeah. fighting with each other. <laughs> I had an incident in the um, during lockdown actually. So when when lockdown hit and we were working, so we as GPs we worked in these places called Red Hubs where we would see patients with coronavirus type symptoms uh, and we would assess them to see whether they needed to go into hospital or whether they could be managed at home and we, I did that uh, every so often but once you've done a shift there you have to work from home uh, for five days in case you've caught coronavirus and so uh, but so you work from home and I, you do phone calls and video calls to patients and I was it was a really warm day and I was I, I, I was on my computer in my office. The the, the doors to the garden, uh, which open out from the office, were open. And it was that time of year where that we we were being inundated with starling chicks. Just they were just coming oh, yeah. thick and yeah. fast. And they were, you know, they were eating the mealworms. They were eating the suet. They were just eating everything. And I quite liked them. They were they were really noisy, but I I really liked them. And I was on doing a video call to a patient, and I was talking to him about his pain that he was having. And this starling chick flew into my office. And, and then I, I don't know what it is, but there's a bird inside the house. It just makes you panic. And uh, so I ran kind of like shutting doors so it wouldn't fly into the house. And this poor patient was watching me trying to chase this starling out of the room. And I fell over the sofa and it was just horrendous. This poor bird. We managed to get it out in the end. And then I went back to the patient. I went, so what were you saying? And he was like, I think it's you that might need a doctor now. <laughs> so yeah it definitely uh it definitely happens um so yeah I, I did open the doors to the garden after that when I was working from home <laughs> it's just not oh. worth it so I I was around having Sunday lunch with my parents and I just get this call from my dad and he's like you need to come here like now and I went in and a magpie had got in wow. <laughs> into the conservatory and oh trying to get this panicked magpie out of the conservatory and I don't even know how it got in because all the windows they're kind of like open they're like the little little ones at the top that open at an angle yeah you know, mm. how how did a bird get in that window to start with <laughs> and then you just open the doors and there's two of us trying to get this magpie out and it's just it is it's like a carry-on film isn't it, it is. trying to get a bird out of a <laughs> just need to house. put some funny music to it and then... yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was honestly I've never had I, I just can't I couldn't face that patient again it was just <laughs> <I heard>. so <laughs> it was just one of those things <laughs> you can imagine the conversation he had with a family you know later on oh, yeah, yeah. I, I had the bloke off yeah the bloke off the telly yeah, yeah he was my doctor oh how was he well he chased a bird around <laughs> yeah fell <laughs> over <of> sofa <laughs> yeah it was it, honestly it was all of those things it was it was just really bizarre but the bird made it out alive and i think yeah. that's the most uh, that's the important most thing. important thing but those starling chicks they were ravenous honestly oh. they, I, you, I had to top up my feeders twice a day at times because they oh, were just yeah. coming in and and again like you say they're they're really argumentative aren't they and they, they there was so much comp- and the babies were chucking the adults off the feeders to get to them and it was yeah it was really it was spectacular to watch because it was it there was just so many of them the poor little birds the finches didn't get a look in at all when the starlings were there but it was, but then, but then they just suddenly disappear, don't they? They, they, they've, they've yeah. gone. It lasts about uh, a week, doesn't it? I used to get yes. it at the park I worked at. They'd be invaded by them. They'd pick everything off all the trees mm. and disperse again. I mean, the ones I had in my garden, I had them for, well, maybe it was about a week. Uh, they were all sort of knocking each other into the pond and all sorts of, you know, trying to get down because I had a liner. 
they were trying to creep down the liner to get a drink and then they'd slide in <laughs> and I went out and found one dead oh, so no. I, I watched what happened but it was on the edge of the pond I thought well it hasn't drowned and then the next day I was watching the magpies picking them out the hedgerow so the nice easy pickings they, uh, yeah. but that's why they have lots of young isn't it so yeah, see, we, we, we don't actually feed the birds in our garden we used to but we don't anymore but the house a couple of doors down they have a lot of bird feeders and then we actually have a hedgerow like to the other side of us so we don't actually feed the birds but i think we're the only people with bird baths so we don't we don't get like the the fighting over the the food but we actually had a competition to see how many starlings we could get in the bird bath and we got up to seven in the bird bath at one go wow and then but then we had we had a great that that basically ruled the garden and when he came in that was it all the other birds just left really and i was like but that's a great tit and you're a starling <laughs> Guess what species is the least fun to handle? Great tit. Close. Blue, Blue tits. tits. Blue tits. Mm. They peck like anything. Apparently, <laughs> they're really nasty little watsits. They don't. Well, you can imagine when you're that little, you've got to be a bit aggressive to, yeah. to survive, haven't you? Yeah. Well, I found that out the hard way. We've got a drive with a post box at the end of it, and I, I'm terrible at checking the post. I, I, I feel like the drive is too far away, and I don't go. So I went after about a week and a half or so in the spring. I went and I opened it up, and there was a blue tit nest in the post box, and there was six little eggs, and I just couldn't oh. believe it. And then when I went back, because I thought, oh, I'm going to get a photo of this, the mum was sitting on on the eggs and she did something really fascinating when I opened it up. It was quite clearly a defence mechanism, but she fanned out her tail over all the egg and it was incredible. So I shut it. Uh, I took a quick photograph, shut it, and then I put a note on there to the postman saying, oh, don't yeah. put anything in here, please. And send everything <laughs> yeah. next door. And I watched them all fledge and it was incredible. They, they I watched them come in and out of that post box. It was just amazing. Oh, so, we, we had great tits nest on, oh, it was on the boundary of us and our um, neighbours at my parents' house. Um, they're at the top of a soil pipe. It's <laughs> where all the sewage from our house went down. So they might, can't have been a particularly nice smelly nest. Good job birds don't have a good sense of smell. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I also found out that they hiss. They can hiss at you as well. Because when I opened it up and she found out her tail feathers, yeah. she hissed at me. <laughs> I was like, so make herself look big and like... hissing. Yeah, classic. Yeah. Was, well, I didn't yeah. know they did that, but yeah, I can I can see how that would work though. Yeah, they... it definitely worked because I shut it and ran. <laughs> <laughs> she hissed at me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going Cowering in the corner, I'm being hissed at by by blue tin. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but no, but yeah, she had six eggs, and I think three of them fledged in the end, which I think is pretty good. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, it was really good. I've actually got a little question for you. This is kind of for me because obviously we've talked about the benefits of getting out into mm. nature, you know, and that. But I am a big fan of house plants as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the point that my house is starting to look more like a jungle than a house <laughs> but there's also because I, I have specific house plants for specific reasons but there's you know some good research out there about health benefits to having certain house plants as well not just because you have to tend for them and care for them and look after them and it's amazing when they grow and you have to repot them four times in a year because they don't stop blinking growing um <laughs> and you run out of space for them but some of them you know they help purify the air in homes and everything as well yeah and that that's really important and it's it's also worth saying that house plants can have the the same similar health benefits that being outdoors can so they can reduce your cortisol levels and they can increase your serotonin and, and dopamine levels definitely you know there are some plants that are better than others at, in terms of producing more oxygen 
and mopping up carbon dioxide. And so, so it's worth having a having a think about that. But there was a study which I found fascinating. It's not quite to do with, with houseplants, but it's not too far off. But there was a study looking at uh, patients uh, in hospital in America, and they, they had similar illnesses, and they were inpatients in, in hospital, and they found that the, the, the patients who had uh, views of trees and plants outside of their, their window left hospital a day earlier than on average than those who didn't. And that included potted plants and, and indoor plants as well as outdoor plants. So I, I, I think there is definitely an argument, science really, to, to prove that houseplants are good for your physical and mental health. And I would say if anyone wants to know more about houseplants, spider plants and ferns are the best ones to have in your house. Yes. Yeah. And often the plants that you want the most, like the succulents and the orchids, they are beautiful, but they don't do as much in terms of oxygen and carbon dioxide balancing out. No, no. The spider plants and the ferns are the best ones. The orchids are great. And actually, uh, a lot of people think orchids take a lot of looking after. Actually, you just ignore them and they grow perfectly well. Yeah, they're great. (laughs) You know, we're in autumn now, but we're going to come into winter and a lot of stuff will die off in, you know, gardens and green spaces and and that but my house plants just keep going all the way through the year and it's that lovely little bit of jungle quite frankly <laughs> yeah. that I'm bringing into my house but it's <laughs> it, it's surprising because I know there, there were some studies about offices as well like having plants in yes. offices yes they pr- improve your productivity don't they by yeah. about 15 percent allegedly according to yeah. these studies which I think it's, it's nice because they look gorgeous as well and and if it if it makes you uh, you know work better then then you've, you've got to have it and it's they're also apparently improve your attention span as well similar to what nature does outdoors so it's perfect for the office get get a house plant in yeah <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah it, I think it is worth talking about indoor plants as well particularly you know, now, like you say, it's winter and, and people may spend more time indoors. You can get beneficial effects from it. And also looking after something that's growing, pruning something. All of that is, is shown to to be really good for anxiety levels. So so definitely get involved with that side of things, too. But maybe unless you're really dedicated, the bonsai trees are a little bit hard to look after. Yeah, no. Start basic. Start basic and then move up towards the bonsai get, get, get a spider plant it doesn't need much looking <laughs> uh, no and it has uh, loads of babies which i think is lovely my asparagus ferns have gone absolutely i bought a little baby one two years ago i now have two huge pots and two small pots of them wow. from one baby it, they've just gone absolutely nuts in our in our house oh beautiful beautiful so you know we know that spending time outside with nature is is really beneficial and and people who have access to it benefit a lot from it but actually it's not just about the proximity or the accessibility it's about the time you spend out there as well you know there was a a recent study done by the university of exeter which looked at 20,000 individuals and looked at how much time they need to spend with nature in green spaces to gain the most benefit. And it was one of the biggest studies of its of its kind, really. And it, and it showed, you know, and it was well publicised. It, it, it showed that, you know, to gain the most benefit or to gain benefit at all, really, you, you should be spending at least 90 minutes, 120 minutes to with nature across the 
the week, you know, so so you can spread it out or you can do it all at once. But but that is the amount of time that you should you should be spending in, in green spaces to to get those kind of benefits that we were we've been talking about. 90 minutes is really what you should be aiming for across that week. And and it's doable. It's an it's an hour and a half. You know, you could spend 20 minutes a day and it still won't take all week. You can definitely do it. That's a, a manageable amount of time. And Think about your blood pressure. Think about your heart health. Think about your risk of diabetes. Think about your mental health. Just doing that for 20 minutes a day and, you know, really doing it. Don't just go out there with your phone and text and talk to people on the phone and think, oh, I'm talking on the phone. It's fine. But I'm walking through a woodland. That's fine. No, that's not fine. You have got to really immerse yourself in it and concentrate on what's going on around you. Be mindful about what's going on around you, because that is how you're going to really reap those rewards from nature i guess it's about switching off like from the technology side of things as well and it's it's basically saying do you know what i'm just going to get away from it all yeah. for 20 minutes or, or you know or whatever whatever you do but yeah. like i said not being out i mean i i see people out but they're on their phone the whole time mm-hmm. i mean i know yeah. obviously when neil and i go out we're normally firmly attached to our cameras but <laughs> <laughs> But you're looking for things. You're you're yeah. you're immersing yourself in it. it, it it's very different to texting or uh, talking to someone on the phone because you're missing out on so much. It is it is all about you know really connecting with 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 nature. It's not hard to do. It's so enjoyable. I don't want it to sound like a chore for anyone. I don't want to say no. You can't do this and you can't do that. You have to do this. You know, it's really really enjoyable and, and you know we're we're all converts and I say this when I go and talk to schools and I and I, and I talk to uh, NHS England about green prescribing I say this look you know I didn't grow up with nature I didn't have that connection I developed it later it's never too late I think that's a really important point to make and you you, you know just because you didn't enjoy something as a kid doesn't mean you won't enjoy it as an adult and vice versa so yeah you, you, you we have really got to get back to connecting with with nature especially especially now when all of us are so stressed with what's going on in the world. It's, it's just that chance to get out and switch off and, you know, just kind of forget about everything Yeah. for a yeah. while. Yeah, forget about the news. That's, a, you know, it's such an important point. You know, it, you, yes, we want to know what's going on with COVID. Yes, we want to know about what's going on in the world. But you don't need to an, an update every two seconds. You can switch it off. That is part of what's stressing you out in all of this coronavirus stuff that's going on. It's really important and we have to listen and adhere to rules, but you need a break from it. If that is stressing you out and it's stressing a lot of people out, and I'll admit it, you know, I I went through a point, particularly at the height of the pandemic, when I was seeing patients with coronavirus, I was seeing my nursing home patients die in large numbers uh, in coronavirus. I got coronavirus and I, I went through a real time of anxiety and 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 worry and, and not sleeping and it was really my garden and, and access to, to, to nature that got me through that and and my colleagues at work and it it, it, it was a tough time and I, you know I've got lived experience of anxiety now I've never suffered from mental health issues uh, before I've been really lucky to get to that point and not suffer from mental health issues but I I, I was at a really low point and getting into the garden and connecting with nature and watching the hedgehog family in, in the garden and, and the robins build nests were really the moments where I could forget about all of that. I could forget about those awful conversations I'd had with a wife about her husband who died from COVID. It, it, it really took me out of that for, for the time I was watching nature. And you can you can have that. We can all have that.
and I guess you know in in the job that you're in and like all all your colleagues and everyone that's you know been working in the NHS and the hospitals it's it's really important for those guys to be able to have that time as well yeah like you know there's stuff that you're going through on a day-to-day basis with work yeah people think that the uh, people in the NHS are used to seeing people dying yes we are but we're not used to seeing people suffering and dying in such high numbers over a short period of time and and it's not just you've got to remember it's not just seeing people get ill and, and die you then have to go on to have conversations with their family members about it then you support them through the bereavement process as well particularly as GPs we do a lot of that and that takes its toll on us and I was really lucky actually there's a there's a hospital in in Skipton which is not far from me that have developed a well-being garden for particularly for ITU staff but all the staff in the in the hospital and I was lucky enough to open it and just talking to the nurses there who had been through such a trauma through the height of the pandemic you know talking about why being outside away from the hospital in an area that doesn't look at the hospital amongst anything that isn't bricks, you know, is so, so important. And already they were spending time in the garden and and reaping those benefits of being in natural environments. And we're going to see a whole cohort of NHS staff who are mentally scarred by this entire pandemic and part of that recovery, you know, there's there's going to be many facets to the to that recovery, but part of it should be giving them access to a space which is full of nature that is away from everything, because it certainly helped me and it certainly helped those nurses I was talking to at that hospital in Airedale. Yeah, no, that's that's a very interesting, if slightly harrowing insight there. It doesn't even <laughs> come close on the scale, but I had a rather bad employment experience, basically. I, I left one secure job to go to another job, ironically working for a wildlife charity, and it turned into... Well, there's some really lovely people work there, uh, some of them I catch my friends still, but there was some... I don't know how to put this properly. But basically, it got, it turned very stressful. I ended up working seven days a week trying to keep on top of things mm. and then had to walk away, had a mortgage to pay and all that kind of stuff, but had to walk away. And I ended up having six months off. Basically, just uh, I, I looked for jobs, but I didn't, you know, claim any benefit or anything because I was just sort of determined to get another job but I just went out in nature it just you know once once or twice a week I had a young son back then so I couldn't go out too much the poor wife was on maternity leave so I didn't take the mickey but yeah I get myself out and it just it helped so much I mean it you know going out doing photography is my de-stress anyway but I sort of made sure I got out there and I even had a, a weekend up with a friend at one point back when we could go visit people in Yorkshire, funny enough. I went to uh, Bempton. And, have you done Bempton? Uh, I love Bempton. Oh, I thought I that's a silly it. question, really. If you like well, if you live in Yorkshire, <laughs> well, we did a trip up to the. Oh, no, it wasn't the farms. Actually, we went out. So you should go. Have you heard of Yorkshire Coast Nature? Yes. Yes, yeah, I went out on the whale watching trip with them. Oh, uh, I've done that. It's a, you've done that? Oh, it's, yeah, it's phenomenal. Uh, that was a. Uh, um, yeah, I, d- I did it a few years ago as well and did the Gannett trip a couple of years ago with them. And, nice. Uh, and yeah, it, that that was really, I've seen, you know, seen a huge great whale kind of puts things perspective a bit. And yeah, I like being out on a boat on the sea. I think I've been a fisherman in another life. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talk about green spaces, but yeah, beaches yeah. and coastal areas have this, yeah. you know, it, it's all part of what we what we mean by nature. So, yeah, it, it works just as well. It's nature's biggest pond, so I must love it. That's what I think that's what I, I love. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I won't get won't get many whales in my pond net. <laughs> Need a bigger yeah. net. Yeah. Was that a reference? Did you make a reference then? Vic, Vic never makes film references. Never mind you, I tend not to on this film cast. I do it in real life all the time. 
We're going to need a bigger need... net. <laughs> no, it's you need a bigger boat, isn't it? I know. Isn't that was... the reference? Yeah, but it's a paraphrasing reference. Oh, sorry. I read yeah. all your jokes, Neil. I'm I know. Really it's they're, ter- it's they're so <laughs> terrible. People don't pick up on them. That's the problem. <laughs> they're, too, they're too clever, I think. That's what clever. I mean. They're, they're too nerdy, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh. so. Well, I mean, you know, obviously we, we can't have you on here and not discuss your garden. And I know you have touched on your garden, yeah. but I will just say this. If you don't follow um, Dr. Amir Khan on Twitter, please do, because it is hilarious and it brings <laughs> so much joy to my day. The mu- your stories of your mum as well. The story with oh, your gosh, yeah. <laughs> and, and the stories from like your garden. And like you said, when you were um, having to fill the bird feeders and I think there was one... Went on a little bike or something around your garden oh yeah well during the pandemic the garden was like I say was my savior because it, it took me out of those awful moments but one thing I did every Friday because I was you know like I say I, I got the virus really early on I, I, I was quite poorly with it but I, I'm fine now and one of the things I was just really grateful for each week was surviving you know I was just really grateful for surviving the week of you know seeing patients and dealing with with everything and I used to do a victory lap around the garden on, on, <laughs> and I put it on social media and, it, and then it kind of turned into a thing so I'd use different things to go around the garden in my in my victory lap so I did a scooter and all sorts of things and yeah it was uh, yeah I, but yeah it was just a way to use the garden just to relax really but that victory lap was really important to me because I was just I was just so grateful when you know I had colleagues who sadly passed away as a result of the virus and I and and we know that it disproportionately affects people from BAME backgrounds as well in terms of complications and death. So I was I was just really grateful to be able to to see another week. Really, it was it was at that level that we were really, you know, our worry and our anxiety was. And yeah, I do post a lot about the garden because. Again, you know, I never had, I keep saying this, I never had a garden. And now, you know, I've got this garden, which I, I'm so proud of and, and really welcomes nature as in, all, in all its forms. But I'm not a gardener. I haven't had any formal training in anything. And, and you know, gardening can be quite scary in itself when you, you, when you haven't done that. But it's just trial and error. You know, I, I shoot all the things that, that, uh, on film that, that, uh, that work. I don't tell anyone about the stuff that doesn't work. <laughs> so, it's, you know, so it looks like I'm a really good gardener, but I'm, I'm just like normal and average. And, and so, so, you know, I would encourage everyone to get involved with gardening because it's been a real lifesaver for me. But I think, I think that's what's so refreshing about it is like you said, you're not a gardener. It's just something you love doing and you enjoy doing, and it gives you so much back as well. But I think it, it almost becomes a little bit like a soap opera. <laughs> so <laughs> it what does. the birds are up to and, you know, they're waiting for you to feed the bird feeders and, you know, having to go and fill yes. the bird feeders up in the rain. <laughs> I think in my head it is like a soap opera because I name all the animals in my garden as well. Like the hedgehogs have all got names. I recognise them all. And, uh, and the frogs, I definitely know which frogs are which and which ones have come back that year. And, and, and the birds have got names. And unfortunately, the sparrowhawk has got a name as well. And and you know, I don't, I don't know why I do it, but it just helps me in my head, I guess. But it, it, it's lovely, and it all feels like it's part of the family, and 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 I think that's just really, just, just it, it, it helps. Everything helps. Anything that helps your mental health, anything that helps your physical health, is 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 great for me. And and I think gardening and 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 welcoming nature into your garden and 
and involving all of that and and having fun with it you know it doesn't always have to be serious having fun with it is 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 really important uh and 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 enjoying it and and not having it as a chore because often gardening can feel a bit like a chore i mean certainly with my mum she tells me to come and sort out her garden all the time and that feels like a chore <laughs> but my Especially, own garden is very different <laughs> yeah, as, as a recent tweet said your your mum considered cleaning leaves out of the gutters to be, to yes, be gardening <laughs> she does she does and she blames me for those leaves because i planted that tree about <laughs> about 10 She's years ago in her garden <laughs> i think so <laughs> it's now her tree that's what i tried to tell her this tree now belongs to you mum <laughs> Um, but no, see, I'll be there it, this weekend. It, it doesn't really work that way because I have uh, two apple trees in my parents' garden. They're still my apple tree. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes. Go around, dig them up. They've got those machines that dig up the root ball. Uh, they're, they're very big apple trees now. Um, <laughs> oh, no, have you not seen the machine? There's like, a huge, great trucks. They've got, a, where was it? Is it Japan or somewhere? They've got these huge, great... Um... Yeah, Neil, the tree's not going to fit in my garden. Oh, that's the point. Yeah, <laughs> No, no. So and my I... mum likes the tree. She wants to keep the tree in the spring and when she's when she's picking plums off it. It's her tree. It's only my tree in the autumn time when, when it's, it's time to clean up. Yeah. <laughs> but do you have to ask, what have you named the sparrowhawk? Unfortunately, the, the sparrowhawk is um, it, it's a male sparrowhawk and, and he's caught. I, I think I, I don't know if I've said this already, but he catches about um, two birds every every day. Every time when I'm working from home, I will see him. And, and just this afternoon, I saw him, and he almost caught a greenfinch. Uh, but we call him Jaws because he's so dangerous, and he, he's, he's, uh, <laughs> because he's just such a predator. He's gorgeous. He's beautiful. I love watching him because sometimes he'll just perch on top of the the, the bird feeding stand and just just stay there, you know, and and just kind of. Uh, almost just uh, posture around and, and tell everyone he's there but it is amazing to uh, to watch him and and think that he's there in my garden I just can't quite believe it we've got a sparrowhawk in the garden a bird of prey right now in the garden I'm watching one it's it, it, it's just a million miles away from from what I grew up with yeah. oh, their eyes the sparrowhawk eyes. eyes oh they're yeah. amazing <laughs> they really are piercing yellow because that's how if goshawks have got deep orangey red eyes i think it is and they're, they're pretty scary looking things but mm. yeah sparrowhawks are bright yellow and when it looks yeah. at you that, down a it, camera lens that's something else i tell you yes it, it really it's the first thing you notice with them isn't it the yeah. the eyes and uh and yeah they are quite scary in a way you don't yeah. want you don't want them staring at you you certainly won't want them yeah. staring down at you with you and its claws <laughs> it makes you glad you're not a small bird doesn't it really yeah. <laughs> It really does. It really does. We do get buzzards as well coming in, uh, but but it's the, the, and and like I say, the kestrel and the kites. But it, and we've had red kites swoop down because we 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 put some birdseeds out on on the ground as well for for um, the ground feeding birds. And sometimes we put porridge oats out there. And when we did, the red kites were swooping down and picking up the porridge oats. It was it was incredible. Wow. Yeah. Now that I've not heard of before. So that's interesting. I've that's heard like people it. putting bacon out and yeah. then coming in for bacon. <laughs> we well, I'm vegetarian, so we don't have any meat in the house. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, they, yeah, they it probably wouldn't know the difference at first glance between vegetarian bacon and regular bacon. Yeah, that is true. I could try it. <laughs> no, we we do have to. I probably feel we have to state that they do try and discourage people feeding red kites in some yeah, in some areas but i think if you're out more in the sticks if we're not quite so i think in the middle of town they're trying to discourage it um yeah there's supposedly with school children getting 
I use the words very, very loosely, attacked by them uh, in the school ground. Such beautiful. I mean, I, full disclaimer: I was putting the porridge jokes out there for the blackbirds and the and the and the ground feeding birds, but it, it was just an opportunistic red kite. And they come down more than once, don't they? They kind of mm. miss the first time and then try again. And it was just, yeah, it was just amazing. Did, did you see them eat it, or do you think they picked it up by mistake? I saw them take it away. I didn't see yeah. them eat it, so I don't know what happened with it once they once they took it away. But I, 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 I just, just they probably would have dropped it, it if they if they didn't like it quite quickly. I thought, but it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. that's worth yeah. mentioning to people. That I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just a one-off. A yeah. one-off. <laughs> Never know. Well, yeah, Maybe they're switching diets. <laughs> they are. They're like, we're... we're not going back there again. He puts porridge out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna have to beat myself out. But you know what they used to call them in London back when they before we wiped them out, don't you? What did they call them? <laughs> hawks. Really? Because they used to go out. They they used to provide a service and and clear up all our mess basically. So maybe yeah. they do, and they do scavenge rubbish tips in other countries. So well, you know, that, that's I, that's uh, what we call. Uh, not that I like the term seagulls, but gulls. That's what we always used to call gulls at university. That's where yeah. the names come from. They obviously yeah. co-opted it for that, haven't they? Yeah. Well, yeah. In, when I go to Pakistan, which is where a lot of my family are in Karachi, they have thousands of black kites. Thousands, yeah. just everywhere and i was telling my auntie in, in, in pakistan i said oh she went oh are you missing home and i was quite homesick at that point i can only go to pakistan for like a week and then i want to come home and, and and she went what are you missing and i went oh i'm missing feeding the birds in my garden i'm really worried about them i told my neighbor we you know to fill up the bird feeders she went oh i'll take you to feed the birds and i went <laughs> oh okay so then we went up in this big meat market and she just bought loads of meat and then she just threw it on the ground and then these black kites just came swooping down grabbing <laughs> I, I put it on my instagram it, but grabbing pieces of meat and she went this is how we feed the birds in pakistan <laughs> <laughs> i've got to be honest that is a bit cooler <laughs> it was honestly it was incredible it was incredible and we were in the middle of a busy market and they were just coming down and and and, and picking it up it was just phenomenal wow <laughs> it does kind, of, kind of show as well how in some ways you think the uk is intolerant of wildlife i mean Berlin has got wild boar wandering through it and goshawks and all sorts. And we, we moan about a few foxes and people complain yeah. about red kites. And you're like, <laughs> How you can service. complain about red kites, I do not know, because they uh, are, are people. just stunning. There's um, Lord Snootington, I can't remember what his actual name was, but Lord <laughs> Stuffy Snootington, moaning about them eating red squirrels when it's basically technically impossible for a red yeah. kite to catch. He probably saw a goshawk do it once or something like that, if, mm. if he saw anything do it. Though. Yeah, some quite extraordinary claims about red kites. They will take the odd chick and stuff like that, but I think it was Yolo mentioned they take out young magpies and crows. They're actually mm. helping the small birds by taking them out. Yeah, all, all good news, red kites, I think. Yeah, yeah I think we, so. we've definitely started seeing them. I mean, oh, this year's the first time I've seen them over our house, and I now regularly see them. I mean, I swim pretty much six days a week. There's about three or four that I see on the same street stretch a road on the same bit pretty much every time I drive home from swimming it's amazing oh, wow. you know to see it. and we, we don't know if they've come from the ones that were released in Wales we don't know if they've come east or whether they've come west because mm. we're kind of between the two I guess mm. it could be a bit of both really but it's amazing to see them here and I never thought that I would be sitting in Somerset seeing red kites out over my back garden I think I, we'll probably have to start wrapping it up so it's been it's yeah. been absolutely amazing and fascinating and, and an absolute delight to have you on 
It oh, really has. Really has. I, it's um, been my pleasure, honestly. I, I am so pleased to be on. And so, so basically, it's like we've obviously asked you a lot of questions. Is there anything that you want to ask us? I mean, you guys are, are such experts. One of the things I would love to get into my garden, I don't know if I'm in the wrong place or whatever. I, I would love to get a slow worm or see slow worms in the garden. How can I do that? Slightly depends where you are, but compost heaps are, you, mm. are usually a hot spot for them. I don't know if you've got compost heap. I have, uh, yeah. Yeah, and you do have to be in an area that they're there, I guess, because if you've got lots of cats in the area, they can wipe them out in some areas as well. And mm. slug pellets are bad for them too, because they are the best slug control. They're, they're just almost pure slug eaters. It's, it's compared, you know, hedgehogs would take a few and sell blackbirds and things like that, but slugs have got huge, great teeth for dealing. I'm oh, sorry. Slowworms have got huge teeth. Thankfully, slugs. Slug with teeth. Slowworms, <laughs> they, if you look at a skull of a slowworm, I was telling my boss about this. You Google it, it looks like a Tyrannosaurus or a shark head, really. The teeth are huge for eating slugs. Wow. Yeah, so people put slug pellets down, it might not have done them very much. Yeah, it's one of those things. If you haven't got them, unfortunately, they're unlikely to Can't turn up. Them. But, it, but it's, it's worth to build it, and you know, they may come. You never know. You never know. You know, they do get around. If there's some in the area, they will find it eventually, hopefully. Yeah, I've I've never had any any of my gardens, but I once found one in the middle of Dagenham of all places. There was one, literally, it was just a lawn, this garden, and I found one slow worm in it, which really? is mad. They, the, they the, there there is apparently one that lives under a paving slab just up the drive from us, wow. uh, which seems a bit random. So there's but... probably more in but yeah, they yeah. they live they can live for decades. So even if one's hanging on, it may be the only one for quite a while. You know, they're, they're long-lived animals. Gosh, that is yeah, that is one of the animals I would love to see. So yeah, I'm going to get on that next. Have when... you ever actually seen one? No, never. No, never. It's, it's only bizarre. Well. When all, all this COVID stuff is over, we'll, we'll have to sort out some sort of... Because I've got a friend who lives in Fersk, so I'm quite sure we could... Uh, oh, that's really sort cool. up, Some sort of meet up there. That, that would be, be amazing. Yes, please. Yeah. And I, I've got family in Doncaster as well, so it's... It's been great having you on. I remember how excited Vic was when she said, he's, he's just followed us on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> See, I can't believe that, because to me, you guys are exciting. So yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It, it doesn't take a lot to get us excited. No. <laughs> but, it, but it's, you know, when something like that, because I think for us, we have a lot of people that are already really connected with nature. We've had a lot of nature specialists, nature celebrities come on. But to have someone that is like you, that is a completely different profession, but has that love of nature, it, it's like a real boost to us that we're reaching other people beyond those people that are already connected, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. And it's, but yeah. it's been great to have someone with literally a medical background talk about the medical benefits as well. So that was very interesting stuff and, and hopefully useful to a lot of people as well. So thanks very much for coming on the show. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you soon, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Take care. Thank you so much. Cheers. Yes. Bye-bye. And you can follow Dr. Amir Khan at Dr. Amir Khan GP all one word, on Twitter. And on Instagram, it's Dr. spelled out Amir Khan, all one word. And if you'd like to hear more from this podcast, you can find us at UK Wildlife Pod on Twitter, UK Wildlife Podcast, all one word, on Instagram. And on Facebook, you can find us at UK Wildlife Podcast. And of course, we're available on Apple, Google, and all other podcast providers. So please subscribe there.